It's Friday, December 1st, and from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, this is Pennsylvania Legacies. I'm Josh Rollerson. There are some activities, like archery, that require a certain kind of concentration. Stepping up to the line, drawing a bowstring, lining up the shot, it does something to your brain. You really have to slow your breathing, slow your mind. It brings more of a sense of awareness. There's a growing body of research suggesting that cultivating that kind of focus can actually pay cognitive dividends in other pursuits. Learning, for example. You know, students that might be in a classroom setting that are constantly going on, you know, next topic to next topic, you can incorporate outdoor recreation as outdoor education and give that student an opportunity to experience a different style classroom. That's one reason the Pennsylvania Department of Conservation and Natural Resources is teaching kids archery, a sport that's been growing in popularity among youth thanks in part to its portrayal in the Hunger Games franchise and elsewhere in popular culture. We'll learn more about DCNR's archery program coming up on this week's show. With the United States dropping out of the Paris Climate Accord, many American cities are pushing ahead with their own plans to drastically reduce carbon emissions locally. Last month, Philadelphia released a report outlining its vision for an 80 percent carbon reduction by 2050. And in Pittsburgh, the city government is refining the latest version of a plan that's been in the works for nearly a decade, aiming for the same goal. Peck Energy and Climate Program Manager Lindsay Baxter has been involved in that process since its inception back when she worked for the city of Pittsburgh. Earlier this week, Lindsay testified before city council at a public hearing on the Pittsburgh Climate Action Plan. I caught up with her afterwards to talk a bit more about how the plan is shaping up. This is a document that you have some familiarity with. I do. I had the opportunity to serve as the lead author of the first Pittsburgh Climate Action Plan, which was adopted in 2008, and then was involved in implementation of that plan when I worked for the city of Pittsburgh. Um, And Peck has been a member of the Pittsburgh Climate Initiative and served as the convener of that group for a number of years. So yes, deeply entrenched in this work. And how have you seen the plan evolve over that time? Um, so some, some good things, some, some great things, I guess. Um, the first plan was built through a stakeholder process that was really top down. So it had a lot of involvement from institutions of higher education and some businesses, but it was hard to get community members really at the neighborhood level engaged. And that is something that in this third iteration, the city has been really trying to bring in. I think that's a positive thing. Action happens at the very local level. Um, The first climate action plan was a lot more focused on what the city could do with its own buildings and operations. And I think that's appropriate. Um, It's a good place to start. And in the second and now in this third um, version, we see an expansion of that scope to look a lot more at what community partners, businesses, other organizations can do to contribute to uh, the Climate Action Plan's goals. And you said uh, the direction it's moving now seems to be more perhaps public-facing. Would you say that the process is, is becoming more responsive to the grassroots level? That absolutely is the goal of the city and the partners that are building this plan is to become more public facing. Um, That continues to be a challenge. And I think that's an area where maybe it's uh, missed the mark a little bit to date. I had the opportunity to participate last night in the public hearing at city council. There are over 60 individuals there, some um, private 
residents, some representing their employers or organizations. Um, but a lot of the feedback was concern about how this plan, at least in its current version, can be translatable to the average um, business, the average citizen, uh, not energy practitioners like myself. And so you were focusing on the, the energy piece of it. What was the testimony you gave to city council? Um, so three minutes goes by really quick. So mine was uh, short and simple. We, um, PEC submitted written comments that were much more comprehensive a few weeks ago, and those are posted on our website um, as well. I basically thank the city for its continued leadership on this topic. As we see a lack of leadership at the federal level, it continues to be as important or more important that cities and states are acting um, as it was when the first plan was written 10 years ago. Um, in my testimony, I also encouraged the city to revisit, in particular, the energy chapter. Um, I think that it could benefit from a tightening of scope, um, perhaps limiting the number of recommendations, but more fully fleshing out those recommendations that are in it so that there's really an idea of the path forward. And they're more than just setting a vision, but really setting a path forward for action. And that was something that a lot of the public comment touched on. There was a concern um, that this would be a document that sets some nice uh, aspirations, but without any clear idea of how it would move forward as really a roadmap. So uh, what would that look like specifically within the scope of, of your area of expertise? What concrete steps should the city take? Um, I think we get into some of that in our written comments, but one that I really would like to highlight here is the emphasis on energy efficiency. And that actually isn't in the explicit energy chapter for which I served on the stakeholder group. Um, that falls into the buildings chapter. But that was something we heard a lot of speakers last night discuss. Um, Pencil, or excuse me, Pittsburgh is, um, according to the American Council on an Energy Efficient Economy, ACEEE. Um, Pittsburgh is in the top 10 of cities with the highest energy burden. Um, energy burden refers to the amount of uh, basically someone's paycheck that's going towards paying their energy bills. Um, that's not a top 10 list we want to be on. Incidentally, Philadelphia is also on that list. We are the only state to have two cities in that top 10. Um, it's a huge, huge area for not only reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Um, about a quarter of the emissions in um, Pittsburgh city proper are coming from buildings. So that's a, that's a giant chunk that we could bite away at. But it's also an opportunity to really engage people at the very, very local level and to improve quality of life. So from a city perspective, I think that should be a no-brainer. I have often heard you say the devil is in the details, and this is surely one of those cases. You hear a lot about renewables as a path forward. Are renewables a panacea for the climate problem at the city level? No. <laughs> As you know, Josh, I'm a huge lover of renewable energy, and I do a lot of work with this topic. But PEC differs from some other environmental organizations in that we are not calling for 100% renewables. And that is a goal that is in the city's climate action plan and at least the current draft. Um, and that is because the urgency of climate change forces us to, to look at all options. We can't be taking options off the table at this point in time. Um, we should be building out renewables to the greatest extent possible, both distributed and utility scale. Uh, but the time and the 
expense and the uh, not in my backyard sort of sentiments that people have around having energy infrastructure like additional transmission lines. Um, all, all of that forces us to look at really a portfolio approach um, to energy generation. And there were a lot of comments last night at the hearing in favor of 100% renewables, but with concern that the city in this version of the plan has not really fleshed out how they would get there. It's an aspiration, but not with a real clear path forward. Um, but there were also some comments on concerned about the potential loss of nuclear. Now, it's hard to say what a city could do specific to that issue, um, but it was refreshing to hear people that were passionate about climate issues there publicly saying that they were very concerned about the potential loss of nuclear generators in Pennsylvania until such a time that we have zero carbon sources to replace um, those zero-emitting nuclear plants. And that's something that, that Peck's been out there also talking about. Well, then, uh, City of Pittsburgh and Allegheny County do have some sway in the state capital, I believe. Would that be one avenue? For, like, if, if Pittsburgh really decided that nuclear was important and enshrined that in the climate plan, could they make some headway at the state level in terms of maintaining support for that industry? I think it's debatable what issues anyone can make headway on at times in Harrisburg. Um, but yes, I think that showing that political will from Mayor Peduto, um, County Executive Fitzgerald, or other leaders could be very impactful in the state capitol. Um, it's, it's debatable whether that is an area they would move to. Like I said, the current plan is really um, wedded to this 100% renewable goal. But in our comments, we have strongly encouraged that to be rephrased as a 100% zero carbon goal, which could include more than just um, renewable, traditional renewables of wind, solar, and hydro. And of course, it's not just Pittsburgh or Philadelphia that are taking this kind of approach. A lot of cities are are really tackling or, or, or claiming that they're going to tackle the climate problem. What role do you think city governments and maybe county governments uh, can play? Why do you think so many cities are, are now stepping into this space, and where do you see it going from here? I think cities are the level at which almost all of us uh, interact with government. If you ask anybody on the street who their mayor is, they know the answer to that, and it's debatable whether they know who their state representative or you know a congressman or a senator is. Um, for better or for worse. And what we've seen in the first two iterations of the Climate Action Plan is that universities and some businesses have adopted the climate reduction goals of the city's plan to guide their own sustainability efforts in their own buildings and operations. And I think that's huge. I mean, the city is one part and they can lead by example but when you talk about actual impact you have to be getting into people's homes into businesses into schools and um, that's where city government can really lead and that's where I think to a large extent Mayor Peduto has he's been very public facing um, talking especially with this whole Pittsburgh or Paris deal when uh, President Trump said he was pulling out of the Paris Agreement because he represents Pittsburgh. And um, I think many of us are very proud of Mayor Peduto when he stood up and said, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. We're very in favor of um, acting on climate change. Um, in fairness, we are the Paris of Appalachia. That is true. That is. <laughs> we carry that mantle with pride. Um, but, you know, and it's not just Pittsburgh. Um, 
Philadelphia has an energy vision that's out for public comment right now through January. Um, I'm going to be trying to get links to both of these documents up on our website um, later today to help people find them and weigh in. But smaller municipalities are also going down this pathway. Um, it, it, it's just going to be a great lens for how a municipality addresses a lot of its challenges from energy costs to climate resiliency. Um, it can all be done under this lens of climate protection. Right, and you can find Lindsay's comments, Peck's comments, on the City of Pittsburgh Climate Action Plan on our website at peckpa.org, as well as much more from our energy and climate program. Lindsay Baxter is the manager of that program. Thanks again, Lindsay. Thank you. Christine Ticehurst is a Recreation and Interpretation Program Coordinator with the uh, DCNR Bureau of State Parks and works specifically on outdoor recreation opportunities, including archery, which is what we're here to talk about today. Hi, Christine. Hello. Good morning. Tell me about the archery program. How long has it been around and what do you do? Wow. All right. So archery uh, has been around for many, many years. Archery you know? has, yes. Archery <laughs> has, historically, <laughs> you know, survival. Um, but within the state park system, uh, that has been a program that our environmental educators have been offering um, throughout the state for many years. Um, more recently, we have been fortunate to receive um, a grant opportunity through the Easton Foundation uh, with a partnership with the Pennsylvania Game Commission to facilitate um, additional archery programming at our state parks. So we were able to acquire 22 additional full archery kits for public programming. So it's a, a wonderful opportunity to increase the, the, uh, the sport and um, opportunities recreationally for, for our visitors. And, and an archery kit is some bows and arrows and targets, I'm guessing? <laughs> a little more than that. Yeah, okay. yeah. The archery kit actually includes a number of bows, uh, recurve, compound bows, uh, lighter weight draw weights for, for younger children, really, uh, to teach them how to use the bows correctly and to pull back and draw uh, the, the arrow. Um, there are targets that we can use for indoor and outdoor activities, uh, along with curriculum that teachers, if they're interested in um, attending maybe a workshop, they could then take some lesson plans and bring back to, to school to implement uh, an archery program uh, within their, their program throughout the year. There's also a, um, a national program called NASP, which is National Archery in the Schools Program. And we have our um, Pennsylvania Game Commission coordinator that oversees that program throughout the state. Uh, he and I work together to facilitate this uh, expansion of the archery kits at the state parks. So uh, there's some um, additional opportunities available for youth to get involved in archery uh, at, at our state parks, as well as within school. And what's the age range we're talking about? When's a good age for kids to, to start learning? You know, um, I would say the younger the better. Um, you can introduce and introduce the archery um, concept and equipment to to a young child. Um, you know, if they're up and walking, can comprehend. Um, you know, pulling back and and looking at uh, targets. Certainly, you can show them and demonstrate how to use that. Um, and then as they they get older and stronger, to pull back on the the the, the bow, um, they can then go out and, and take a shot at, at the target. Uh, so I'd say, you know, probably five and up you okay. can start with. Mm -hmm. Is this normally like an, an entry point to, to bow hunting or are there 
are there people that are interested in just just target shooting for fun or what's what's the progression of this sure, activity sure. yeah well you know i mean it kind of goes um it can run the the spectrum uh you know some folks might have this this image of of camo clad guys out in the woods up in a tree stand um and yeah that might be the case for you know we're in pennsylvania and penn's sure. woods um you know as we're approaching the fall um archery season, definitely that the hunting aspect is there. Uh, but there's also, you know, a spark with with youth and um, definitely the the books that have come out through the Hunger Games. Right. Katniss has has uh, has definitely been brought to the forefront for for girls, especially um, to get out and try try their hand at archery. So it's neat to see out in you know, out of target practices. Um, you know, you have a younger uh, demographic. You have girls that are out there. So it's it's neat to see that opportunity um, for for folks that may not necessarily be out in the outdoors, hunting especially, uh, to kind of give them an opportunity to, to get out and experience something else that they may not do normally. So they can they can start out uh, in schools. There's uh, many schools within Pennsylvania and nationally that offer the NAS program. Uh, that's the National Archery in Schools program. So that is also um, a program that the teachers and school districts can connect with and and incorporate uh, archery as maybe a club sport and encourage um, you know middle middle school to high school age students in that in that sport. Um, there's a tournament each year in Pennsylvania. Uh, the winner of that, of that tournament then goes on to the national, um, tournament. Hmm. Uh, so it's, it's neat. I mean, it's, it's a, a really great experience to see. There's, I think over 30,000 students that come up to Penn state and, um, and, and try their shot. You know, they have teams that go and, and, um, it's, it's good. It's a, it's a good opportunity and, and it's refreshing to see, uh, the youth that are learning about the, the sport, which then brings back to sort of the stewardship component. And uh, I think it ties really nicely with DCNR's mission is to to encourage folks to to get out, enjoy and appreciate what we have in Pennsylvania. Right. And with over 2.2 million acres of public lands, you know, it's it's a great opportunity to, to see a different part of Penn's Woods, really. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's nothing better than than getting up in the morning and going out and listening to, you know, the leaves crunch in the fall and, and just listening to the forest come alive. Um, you know, so if you have youth that are interested in hunting from the archery program, that's that's a bonus, mm-hmm. uh, I think. But, uh, you know, you're you're exposing them into something totally different now. Um, and then hopefully they'll they'll appreciate the, the forest and, and our lands, our public lands and our wildlife um, and maybe, you know, being interested in attending a program later in life for college for an environmental program. Mm. Um, so that's that's a that's something that, you know, within DCNR, I think we're we're striving to do is to to build this steward, stewardship opportunity for students um, and youth, especially, to then you know continue to take care of our, our land and and enjoy the outdoor recreation that we have in this great state. Well, and certainly, you think any anything that gets people outdoors, spending time outdoors, has to be a good thing. Apart from that, is there anything about archery in particular that well, what do, what do kids get out of archery that they wouldn't get out of say? Just you know, hiking in a, in a, sure. on a trail. Sure, uh, I would say that it, it definitely slows down th- your thought process. Hmm. You know, so you step to the line, you grab the bow, <clears throat> and there's you really have to slow your breathing, slow your mind. Um, it brings m- more of a sense of awareness hmm. to the situation. So I think you know, students that might be 
in a classroom setting that are constantly going on, you know, next topic to next topic for maybe, you know, an exam, um, you can incorporate outdoor recreation as outdoor education and Mm -hmm. give that student an opportunity to experience a different style classroom. There's some research to suggest that, you know, activities like this actually do benefit kids in terms of concentration, focus, uh, learning ability. This has been scientifically shown? Yes, yes, definitely. There's there's a tremendous amount of research that has been done on um, how the environment helps with recuperating from, you know, illnesses or um, surgeries. It also helps to kind of calm your mind and your and, and sort of rejuvenate yourself. I think there's a, a Japanese theory that's called Shinruku, which mm-hmm. is forest bathing. So in Japan, folks will will go out into the forest to kind of calm themselves. Uh, so there's that's just one area. I mean, you mentioned how your breathing changes when you're lining up a shot. Tell me, how do you how should one breathe when preparing to to shoot a bow? Well, that's a good question. All right, when you step up to the line with archery. Um, our environmental educators that are at our sites, we definitely keep safety at the forefront. So there are many rules with with the with the range. There's different um, whistle blows uh, that we will teach the the participants, you know, to listen for as almost cues. Um, so you'll have a you know a whistle that will indicate step to the line, and you want to step over the line and have your shoulders sort of perpendicular to the the archery target. And then there's another whistle that will indicate um, an opportunity to then take the arrow out and can put that up to the bow and then draw back. And once you're ready to go, then you can go. Um, but they, everyone can take a shot. And then it's another whistle for um, for folks to put down their, their bow and to walk out to the, to the target and then collect their, their arrows. So once you go through the, the program, you'll understand the, the different whistle blows and, and keep safety there. Um, you know, we want to make sure people are having fun. That's the most important, but also learning and being safe out there. So it definitely provides an opportunity to stop and listen to, mm. what, to what's happening. Um, but within your mind, uh, you really have to kind of clear that and focus on your target. Um, when you bring up the bow and you pull back, you want to slow your breathing, get your hands steady, make sure you have the, the target in sight. And once you're ready to go, you know, I kind of like to take a few breaths, calm my breathing, and then release mm-hmm. and, and follow through and watch that arrow go. And then you put the bow down and check it out. Once it's safe to go, then you head on up and see, see how well you did. You know, mm-hmm. if, you're, if, you have a good, if you have a good cluster um, of arrows, then, then perfect. You're doing a great job. If they're kind of all over the place and maybe out behind the target, you're going to go back and, and reset and, and then try to maybe calm your breathing again and try it again and give it another shot. And you've really been emphasizing safety, as one would expect. Do you find that, and certainly it's not hard to see the appeal of archery from a kid's standpoint, like what's not to like about that idea. Do you have, uh, do you encounter parents that are reluctant uh, because of safety concerns? And what do you say to them? Yes, yes. There definitely are questions and concerns. And we want to make sure that our visitors and, and parents, especially if they have young children that are coming to the park for a program, are, are comfortable with allowing our environmental educators to offer the programming to, to, to their children. Um, so 
yes, it's it's important to to be safe, but it's also important to have fun and kind of relax. But once we go over sort of the basics of safety, um, you know, and and not drawing the bow up and, and pointing it at anyone um, or just sort of the, the very, very simple, this is what's going to happen, explaining it ahead of time so that people feel comfortable. Um, I think that helps some parents and and also giving them an opportunity to take a shot too. You know, right. I think encouraging, um, you know, your parent, the parents and children definitely helps with facilitating a learning opportunity uh, and will maybe encourage additional participation. So, Right. Well, I wanted to ask you about this. This isn't just for children. Uh, no. Adults can learn uh, archery, too. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Archery, it's not just for, for youth or for adults. It's for, for anyone, really, in all abilities. Um, we do have equipment at 22 of our state parks uh, throughout the state that are fully equipped to offer programming for the public. We also have uh, opportunities throughout the state uh, with other organizations that might have uh, adaptive equipment to allow for for individuals that might need um, a different equipment for their their mo- mobility issues, mm-hmm. uh, so we try to make those connections when when appropriate, um, and and to fulfill that opportunity for folks so that everyone in the state can really enjoy an outdoor recreation. It doesn't necessarily have to be archery. It doesn't have to be for youth. It can be all of our outdoor recreation and and all ability and ages. Okay, and much more information about the archery programs and others uh, offered at state parks across the Commonwealth, as you mentioned at the DCNR website. Christine Ticehurst is a Recreation and Interpretation Program Coordinator with the Bureau of State Parks at DCNR. Christine, thanks so much for your time today. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Pennsylvania Legacies for this week. Thanks for joining us. Check out our past episodes on the website at peckpa.org. Also available as a free subscription via Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. New episodes post every other Friday, so we'll see you in two weeks. Until then, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Rollerson. Thanks for listening.